0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. They were anti what we were suggesting because of who was suggesting it, i.e. the CMO. And they didn't like the CMO. They saw the CMO as a threat. And therefore, they were doing everything that they could do to undermine the CMO. So everyone nods until the point that you go, right, now because of this, we need to change your organization. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: We, did, we did not agree to change at any point. Correct. What are you talking about? If you don't understand how people are going to be evaluated in your organization, if you don't understand some of those hidden motives, then you're setting yourself up to fail by succeeding.
0: So, Ron, we're going to talk today about company politics. This is a topic that I'm really surprised that there's not a lot of literature on, I don't think. Yeah. It surprises me that there's not a training course on how to deal with company politics.
1: It's so important, but it's also kind of awkward to talk about, especially for people who are like kind of in the situation. Hopefully, yeah. we can say something useful from the outside that will help people out. Well, that'd be novel, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would be <laughs> to for Say me. something useful would be for me. I I don't want to make a habit of it, but, uh, you know, for the sake of novelty. So
0: today we're going to talk about five rules for dealing with company politics. I spent the first part of my career, the first 20, 30 years, working inside corporate life. And then I started Beyond Philosophy 20 years ago. In fact, those numbers don't work out, but there you go. You, you get the idea. A long time anyway. But I started Beyond Philosophy 20 years ago, and most of our clients are in the big corporate space because that's that's my background. When I was in corporate life, I was fortunate enough to get promoted a number of times then ended up as a senior exec. The only reason I'm telling you this is I've dealt with company politics all my life, basically. I've tried to narrow this down into what are the rules behind this, okay? Because as we just mentioned, there's never anybody that pulls you to one side and says this is how you deal with it.
1: Yeah.
0: For what it's worth, here's, here's our list on, on the subject. So rule number one of dealing with company politics, don't be naive. And unfortunately, I see this still too many times where people in an organization either don't think they have much politics or they think that the politics won't affect them and whilst i've worked in organi- i've worked in as i say many corporates and some of them have been very political very political politics is all over the place and i used to play a lot of soccer in my day and there was even politics in the in the soccer teams, you know, yeah. <laughs> and the managers and who was picking who and were they favorites and was there favoritism here and this manager being a manager
1: of a better, better team. And it's just all over the place, isn't it? Can you define politics in a business setting for us? I, I mean, I assume that most people know what we're getting at, what we're talking about, but some of the naivete might come from people just not identifying this kind of Extra force.
0: You know what? That's a really good question, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's why I, I posed it to you to answer and didn't try to answer <laughs> it myself, which was kind of a political move for me.
0: Yeah, it's it, a really good question. I guess the way I would describe it would be understanding people's true motivations. Yeah. Not necessarily the motivations that they articulate, but the real underlying motivations of why they are doing something. In my experience, and again, I don't want to seem too jaded as I go through this, but I just reflect back to very many, a number of instances that I've had where this has come about over my career. Typically, it's about how somebody can gain an upper hand, how somebody can gain power in some way how somebody can be promoted if i think back to previous organizations that i've worked in it was defined by power was defined by the number of people that you had the larger the organization the more power you had it was defined by what part of the organization that you worked in so typically if you were in sales or marketing then that was seen to be more important than customer service, who was always seen to be second class. Mm-hmm. So it's to do with, for me, I guess it's to do with that motivation and understanding what that motivation is and therefore understanding why people are doing things. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And I, I think it's interesting because there there might be kind of a parallel in the way that people think and talk about customers too, where if people were all behaving rationally then politics wouldn't be a thing right they would be making the best decisions for the organization because they would realize that that's the best long-term in the best long-term interest of the company and then therefore of the individual but instead people have these kind of like less than rational or or at least like hidden or secret motives that drive some of their behavior. So, I mean, I think there is some parallel to the stuff that we talk about and understanding what's Mm -hmm. really important to people and what really drives their decision-making within organizations as well as just for customers. Let me give you an example. This may help. I remember
0: this was when I started Beyond Philosophy. We were in presenting to a client, okay? Okay. And this was a marketing, part of a marketing organization. And the CMO in this client, who shall remain nameless, wanted to engage us to do some work on them, helping them improve their experience. We needed to go and present to the board on what was happening and what we were suggesting. And it was absolutely clear to me that there were people that were anti what we were suggesting. Mm -hmm. And they weren't anti what we were suggesting for any let me call it logic. on the reason. merits. Correct. They were anti what we were suggesting because of who was suggesting it, i.e. the CMO. And they didn't like the CMO. The CMO was new. They saw the CMO as a threat and therefore they were doing everything that they could do to undermine the CMO, basically. And I've had many instances of that in my life where people put themselves and how they're perceived in the organization higher than they don't want someone to succeed because they don't want them to be seen as better than them even if it means that what they're doing is the right thing and there are clearly parallels in government politics we see it all the time don't we of different people doing things and you think well That just makes sense to do that, doesn't it? And they're taking the opposite view. And you think, well, why the hell are they doing that, basically? So first rule, don't be naive. You need to recognize that politics exists, and it exists everywhere. And for me, this sort of ties into rule number two, okay? So rule number two is, in my last role, before I started Beyond Philosophy, I used to run an organization, 3,500 people. And people used to say to me, what do I do? for a living. And I used to say to them, I play chess, because (laughs) that's what it felt like. Yeah. (laughs) And what I mean by that, so rule number two is, you need to understand how to play chess. That means you need to understand the game. Now, let me stress, I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to play the game. Don't go into politics, or enter into that political arena. If you are not willing to accept the consequences
1: of of your actions. But you need to understand how the game is played. Yeah, understand the rules of the game. Even if you don't see yourself as a political person and don't prefer those kind of political actions, if you don't understand how people are going to be evaluated in your organization, if you don't understand some of those hidden motives and how decisions are made, then you're setting yourself up to fail by succeeding. You could be doing what's best for the company or what's best according to some set of goals, but if if what's really driving decision-making is something else, then all of that ends up not doing you any good and not mattering.
0: Let's try and get practical with this. So let's assume that you're running a project. Let's assume that you're running a project to try to improve the customer experience, okay? Why is this important? Well. It's important to know what's the sort of political landscape. So for example, what are the things that the organization, and when I say the organization, I'm I'm now talking about senior people in the organization, what are they motivated by? Are they motivated by cost saving? Are they motivated by trying something new? What is motivating them? Who are the players? Who are the people that have got the power and the influence, okay? And again, if I think back on my career, one of the things that we've done well in the past has been to go, okay, well, we want to try to implement this customer experience program. We know that there are two or three really senior people that are anti this or don't get it. So how can we get to them? How can we put our case And so, again, the first thing for me would be to say, well, what is it that we could do that would help them? So how would improving the customer experience help them? And, again, let me be very Mm -hmm. practical and give you an example. It could be that, in one particular case I've got in my mind now, that I knew that a senior person wanted to reduce the number of headcount. They had a problem with reducing the number of headcount in their organization, and I went in to see them, and to explain to them how by improving the customer experience would help them reduce their headcount. So you're hitting them with something that they that they want. You're being helpful to them. But also prior to that, what I did was I knew who their lieutenants were. I knew the the people that they went to that would influence them. So I went to those people first so they could lay the groundwork with the senior person who would then be more willing to more willing to talk to me. So it's about understanding how that game is played and who the players are. Does that make sense?
1: I think that's great. Yeah. And again, I will draw the parallel to your customer, understanding your customer. I've got a a unit that I teach when I'm teaching my MBA students about explaining things in the language of the decision is what I call it. So essentially, like if you have a customer that is very focused on cost savings and you talk to them about how reliable your machine is, you may still lose the sale because they're focused on price. Now, you know that a machine that lasts longer is not going to need to be replaced as often and so it could end up saving them money in the long run. But you're now relying on them to do a lot of that work for you to translate that into cost savings, which is what they care about. And so can you speak to them about cost savings instead of about reliability? Can you go that much further? And and that is exactly what you just described here. So can I translate the benefits of improving the customer experience into a reduction in headcount? And uh, now I'm speaking to this person within the organization in the language of the decision. It's almost like treating the people within the organization especially those higher up from you, as customers? What do they want? Can we give them what they want?
0: Yeah, and I guess the other thing I would build upon that and come at this from a sort of a slightly different angle as well is understanding what they want. It may be something tangible, like I need to produce my headcount, but it may be something that's more sort of intangible, like Mm -hmm. I've got a project that's underway and I need the support your support on it or somebody that's particularly driven by ego that helping improve the customer experience will help them show what a wonderful person that they are to the rest of the organization or whatever so it's about appealing to that it's understanding that motivator and it's appealing to
1: that motivator whatever it may be It's a great point that it doesn't need to be something kind of strictly rational. It can be, will this make them look good to other people or are they worried that they won't get sufficient credit for it? Those are very much motivators. So do you understand what those motivators are? And can you express the benefits of what you want to do in those terms?
0: Yeah, absolutely. How are you going to grow your market when everyone is competing on the same things? What are your customers' unmet needs in your market? What drives and destroys most value for you? And what are you going to do first? Since 2005, we've been helping organizations answer these questions. Our unique discovery tool, the Emotional Signature, will change the way that you look at your market. Let's have an informal conversation on how we may be able to help you. To set this up, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. And we look forward to talking to you. Rule number three, realize that sometimes you need to lose a battle to win the war. That's a great one. We often talk to our clients and we're talking to them. And typically, you know, here's how it goes. Somebody in the organization goes, improve the customer experience. Everyone goes, yeah, that's a great idea. You get lots of sort of nods around because who in their right mind would not think that's a good idea. The phrase I, I use quite a lot, which is, everyone's happy until you ask them to do something. Yeah? <laughs> so everyone nods until, and, until the point that you go, right, now because of this, we need to change your organization whoa, this way. Whoa, whoa. We, we did, do that. We did not
1: agree to change at any Correct. point. What are you Absolutely. talking about?
0: Yeah, totally. And therefore, what you've got to do, you need to be able to go, these are sort of the pinch points that we're going to come across. And you know what? Sometimes you've got to realize that there's this argument that you're having or there's this, this something you want to do. So, for instance, we've been talking to a client recently about measurement, measuring the experience that they are delivering. So that's like first step. We'd like to put some measurement in place. Typically, you get people going, yeah, okay, we'll put some measurement in place. Next step, we'd like that measurement to be attached to people's bonuses. Yeah. (laughs) What? Yeah. What did you just say? Yeah. Again, it's about realizing, well, maybe that's not a battle we should fight at the moment. And maybe what we definitely shouldn't do is to turn around to them and say, you know what, we need to put some measurement in place and we need to pay people at the same time because that's going to get rejected straight away. You've got to treat it as as a campaign and you've got to look at what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And you've got to realize that sometimes actually there's a battle here and you may fight it and lose it. But you know what? So what? As long as you win the war, then, then that's the, the
1: main thing. Yeah, I mean there's political capital that is spent sometimes in hard victories. I mean you you talked about the organization where there were other people within the organization who kind of wanted this initiative to fail. Well, one way to encourage that kind of backbiting is by winning a hard battle. You could win the battle and end up prevailing and your system gets implemented, but in such a way that the people within the organization whose support you need are now all thoroughly turned off by this and couldn't care less if it ends up succeeding. And so you you lose the war ultimately. So pick your battles, recognize that some battles are not worth winning, uh, recognize that you, you have a longer term goal. It's a great point.
0: And I think to be honest with you, this is one of the advantages of when you're talking to organizations like our own, which, because we've done this 50 million times and we know where the problems are going to be. And we know which are the important battles to win and when to, to fight them. And, and also I have to say, you do get a sixth sense about this politics even if you're not necessarily working in the organization every day of the week. I mean, I I certainly get a sixth sense about what's happening.
1: Well, it also, it can provide a buffer so that it's not someone within the organization who's fighting that battle now. Hey, this wasn't my idea. This is what the experts have told us we should be doing. And that then can, in certain organizations, be less threatening. So it's kind of a political approach to solving that.
0: Oh, definitely. I always remember um, when I was back in corporate life, I was running a program, and my boss at the time said, we're going to pull in a consultant to uh, implement this. And I went, why are we wasting our money on doing that? And I said, I, I can do this. It's not an issue. And they said, yeah, but here's the issue. The issue is is they will listen to somebody from outside. They won't listen to you. Whilst he knew that I could do it, mm-hmm. what he also knew was that it's that famous phrase of, it's difficult being a prophet in your own land. That's right, Yeah. yeah. And you get into that politics, which is, I don't want Colin to succeed, because if Colin succeeds, that means I'm not. So that's where you get the politics. Whereas if you get somebody from the outside coming in, going, your baby's ugly, everyone goes, oh, yes, well, they're experts. They must be able to tell me that. So number three. Uh, Number four, be focused on the customer. Okay? This is an important one for me because... In this dealing with company politics, there are too many people, in my view, that do things for their own benefits and ride roughshod over the customer. I used to work for an organization whose one of the values was, we put customers first. And everyone used to joke that that was the case, but it never was. They were never first. Mm. It was everybody's own political agendas that were first. And things used to happen that were crazy that actually went against what the customer wanted or improving the experience in some way. And I've always thought that's just wrong. It's a bit like you've got to have right on your side. And for me, the right on your side, and I know I'm biased, is that you're doing the things you're doing to improve the customer experience. And
1: that, for me, is what you should be doing. This was a rule that you added to this list. And it's not one that I would have intuitively thought of if we're talking about politics. I think it's a great one though. There are people who treat politics within the organization as their job. Like that's what I'm here to do. And I think ultimately that can catch up with them. Whereas if you are focused on, on the customer and and that's kind of your, your guiding light, and you play these games where you have to, and you lose battles to win the war, but it's all in the name of, of having kind of a larger purpose a, I think it'll make you happier in your job, but I also think that it'll make you do your job better and and have kind of more staying power.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And the last one is a bit of advice that my dad gave me, which has always stuck with me through my career, which is when you're dealing with company politics, just do a good job and then everybody will want you. Okay, and what I mean by that? Don't necessarily get involved in it. You need to understand that there is politics. You need to understand how the game is played. It doesn't mean to say that you have to play it. But just focus at the end of the day on doing a good job. Because if you do a good job, then all these political players will want you because you're doing a good job. If you're a good running back and your stats are good, you're well-respected, everybody will want you. It's those animals that are political animals. It's actually, I think I've told you about this spread in the UK called Marmite. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so this is, this is spread you have on toast and stuff like that in the UK and Colin, this Marmite. is a customer,
1: customer experience podcast. Of course we've <laughs> talked about Marmite on several occasions. The whole thing with Marmite is you love it or you hate it.
0: And the analogy I'm trying to draw here is you want to be in a position that everybody loves you. If you're a political animal, there will be some people that love you and there will be some people that hate you. (laughs) And depending upon which way the wind is blowing at that particular moment, sometimes people that hate you can get into power. And if they do, beware, because you're going to be up for the chop. But if you've just focused on doing a good job, and doing things, number rule number four, being focused on the customer, and you've got a reputation for being focused on the customer and doing a good job, then guess what? No matter who's running the organization, they're gonna want you. So that's my last piece of
1: advice I would give, then that's come directly from my dad. I think it's a great one. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the idea that the truth will out eventually. There are people who get burned politically within their jobs. I'm sure we have stories. I'm sure most of us have experience where we've been treated unjustly in the name of politics, but over a long enough time horizon that tends to wash out. Ultimately organizations need to serve customers and do what people are paying them to do. And nobody's paying for politics. So if you do the job well and do it long enough, then you'll have a home. If, if you're too focused on politics within any particular organization you're spending time not doing your job and and there's a real risk, a real danger that that'll catch up with you eventually. So do the job well.
0: It's really good to mention that because if you're spending the whole of your life, just playing chess, as I mentioned before, right, then there's a problem basically. And again, in my experience, the higher up the organization that you go, the more time you'll spend playing chess. Yeah. That I see as part of the danger. And that's one of the reasons, in my view, why organizations get so inwardly focused and, and lose touch, not just with the customer, but lose touch with the sort of the shop floor because they're spending so much time worried about the politics and, and trying to maneuver things to get to their agenda that they're spending so much time on the politics that they're not worried about running the organization or worried about the customer. Again, got to understand it. You've also got to realize that you can't spend all your time doing it and go back to rule number five. Just do a good job, be focused on doing things for the customer. Yeah. Hope that's been of use to everybody. If you have any questions or you've got any comments, then feel free to drop us a line at contact@beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact@beyondphilosophy.com. Or please leave a review. It's always great to get a review and see how we're doing. So thanks so much, everybody, and talk to you next week. Cheers.